Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me once again today. I'm absolutely honoured by your presence. Um, bonjour, hello, namaste, namaskaram, namaskar, sasrikal, salam alaikum, bonjour, bon dia, hola and hello to everyone all over the world. Um, so... We're going to continue today uh, our podcast for the history of Judaism, or what we call Judaism in today's world. And so we'll get right down to it. We've got a chapter or two left. That means a, a podcast or two, and we will um, finish this chapter after that. So you'll have a good idea of what Judaism is. So to begin with, why is history stuck at this junction in the first place? The state we call Israel today has always been a land of crossroads and therefore immigrants. This will never change as long as the planet exists. We have to go back in the past a little bit to understand this section. So we'll start with the Dome of the Rock, the most contested monument in all of history. Um, or at least modern history. So the Dome of the Rock, the Jewish version of the Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mount sits under the Dome of the Rock. Uh, the Golden Dome that you see uh, in Jerusalem on the Mount, on the Temple Mount, it is the peak of Mount Moriah. We also have as proof the Pool of Siolim, where Jewish pilgrims would purify themselves and then walk up the steps to the Temple of Solomon and pray to their God. A rock-cut pool on the southern slope of the City of David outside the old city. The western wall is believed to be the remaining fortifications of the second Jewish temple built by King Herod. When King David conquered this area, the kingdom of Israel was formed. In order to consolidate his kingdom and rally the people around him, he convinces the people to build a temple as a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. The ark, which was requested by God through Moses, by following his laws and ideology, as noted in the five books of Moses, they were all guaranteed a place in heaven for eternity. For that, he had to collect higher taxes. Unfortunately, he did not live to see his project materialize. His son Solomon went on to build the temple, later known as the Temple of Solomon or today's Temple Mount. The temple one built, once built became an endless bank account for the establishment. Every time you needed to access the temple premises, which would have been made a compulsory function to perform a ceremony or sacrifice, it meant money and more money for the rabbis and the local leaders. The people became poorer and the establishment richer and more corrupt. When Solomon died, the people had enough. They lo the love for David and Solomon, as they are said to be good kings, uh, sorry, they loved David and Solomon, as they are said to be good kings, but they were not willing to go beyond, especially with the crony establishment of the land. The people revolted, and the kingdom broke into two halves, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The Israelite establishment found themselves in the northern kingdom. But the one thing that was most important to them was the temple of Jerusalem and the eternal bank account. 
It ended up in Judah in the south, like we spoke about yesterday. So we divided into northern kingdom, which is called the kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom of Judah in the south. But the most important part was the Temple Mount. It landed in the south. One will think that after this revolt, the former Israelite establishment who found themselves in the northern kingdom would have realized their folly and come to the table to negotiate and mend fences. To change their ways they and have a truce with their southern cousins, all of whom descended from the same patriarch. But no, they went on the offensive and the divide between the northern kingdom against the southern Yehud intensified. All for money and power. They institutionalized their animosity against the Yehud and the corruption continued. Neither did they re regain the kingdom back, neither did, the temple, neither did they get the temple mount back. Their most prized possession was lost forever. The Yehud went on to form one establishment and the northern Israelites another. Remember this part, it is the most important part in the last 3,000 years of history. We're going to come back to this again and again and again. The breakup of the Kingdom of Israel. So now that was the Jewish version. Let's go to the unofficial Christian version of the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is the most recognizable monument on the Temple Mount, also known to Muslims as the Al-Haram Al-Sharif complex. The first information we have of it is in the Baldo Pilgrims, um, uh, a writing called the Baldo Pilgrim, uh, who writes in 333 AD that the most imposing building east of the church of the Holy Sepulchre, which was still bu being built, was the Roman Praetorium, where Pilate uh, judged and sentenced Jesus to die on the cross. The walls of the structure were centered directly within the Tyropion Valley. The pilgrim was looking at what we call the Western Wall today and notes that this walled area contained the residence of, of Pilate or the Roman Praetorium. This residence of Pilate was also known as Fort Antonia. During Roman times, the Praetorium was known to house up to 6,000 personnel and 4,000 support personnel. The Apostle John called this Mount the Rock and was well aware of its significance in Roman history. Around 300, Helena, the mother of Constantine, ordered a small Christian church be built around that rock called the Church of the Holy Pilgrims. This would later become the Church of, of the Holy Wisdom, or Santa Sophia. The 6th century work called Pienza Pilgrim, or the anonymous Pilgrim of Piacenza, I apologize, that's P-I-A-C-E-N-Z-A, -E was a 6th century work, 570 AD, a Christian pilgrim from Piacenza in northern Italy who traveled to the Holy Land at the height of the Byzantine rule in, 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 the, in 570 and also wrote a narrative of his pilgrimage. So that's the second writing we got about this place, the Temple Mount, almost in the 6th century. The Praetorium was where Jesus' case was heard. 
the oblong stone which was used to be in the center of the praetorium. Um, the accused person was made to mount the stone so that people could see him below. On this temple rock was built the Church of Wisdom, the remainder of which we see today. Now in King David's time, Mount Zion was situated at the southern part of Jerusalem, on the southern edge. Mount Zion was where the Jebusite fortress was captured by King David. So from Chronicles 2, chapter 3, verse 1, we get the following. However, very clearly, uh, says that the Lord asked for the temple to be built on Mount Moriah, the, the dome of the rock which stands within the enclosure of the Haram Es-Sharif would be what is left of the Roman Praetorium and the Church of Wisdom. This was converted into the Temple of the Domini. The Muslims took it back from Salahuddin and converted it into a mosque. In Arabic, this complex known as Al-Haram Es-Sharif, Esh in Hebrew means fire or, fire or sun, which sounds eerily close to Shemesh or Beit Shemesh, which in Hebrew is called the house of or the temple of the sun. So the Muslims call this the temple rock Al-Haram Es-Sharif, okay? A-L-H-A-R-A-M-E-H-E-S-H-Sharif, S-A-R-I-F. Now, Esh in the middle is the Hebrew word for sun, which also sounds like Shemesh, so the ending of the word Shemesh, or Beit Shemesh which in Hebrew is called the Temple of the Sun. So this is very close uh, to Solomon's Temple. So let's take a look at some of the other telltale signs of Solomon's Temple. Okay, In, Bi in, Bible, in the Bible, Samuel 2, verses uh, chapter 5, verse 6, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem, it says, to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in there. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. In Samuel 2, chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So David lived in the fortress and called it the city of David. So, Basically, it's saying that the old city of David, okay, the city, the old city of Jerusalem or the, the city of David was once the Jebusite fortress. And this was captured, for, captured by David from the Jebusite and he made his place there, his, his kingdom over there. It no longer stands. It's, it, it just doesn't stand anymore because it was destroyed by the, by the Romans and made into a garbage dump. What you see today, the Temple Mount, is on Mount Moriah, which is north of, of Mount of the city of David, of the ancient fortress of the Jeb Jebusites. So that is basically what the Bible is trying to say. Now we get something else. In Chronicles 2, chapter 3, verse, chapter 3, verses 1, it says, Then Solomon began to build a house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, 
where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David was preparing, had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. In Chronicles 2, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Ark of the Lord, covenant from Zion, the city of David. He began building on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. And all the Israelites came together to the king at the time of the festival in the month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The Levitical priests carried them up, and King Solomon and then the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. Kings 1, chapter 8 to 1 says, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and chiefs of the, fam- of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord, a covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at that time of the festival in the month of Etienne, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting, and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded and counted. Thus, even though the city of David was on Mount Zion, where previously lay the fortress of Jebusites, Solomon's temple was built on Mount Moriah. So where we see the Temple Mount today, that's Mount Moriah, or where originally the threshing floor of Orhan laid The city of David was where the Ark of the Covenant was originally held until the temple was built. Today that place is known as the Temple Mount. Now what is significant in this story is that the Muslim version of the story and the short time frame of transfer of power from Christian to Muslim hands. Uh, So we're going to give you the the history with dates the chronicles uh the chronicle chronically dated uh history of this region okay from the muslim time onwards from the islamic a uh, little bit before the islamic time and we will and and you can take notes if you want and you will get the history one by one okay so we had the jewish version we had the unofficial christian version and we'll go to the dates of the muslim version so in 610 AD, the Sassanid Empire defeated the Byzantine Empire. Jews, Hebrews regained control given them, to them by the Persians because some of the um, Hebrew tribes were allied with the Persians. They called it the Sassanid Jewish Commonwealth for five years. 615 AD, Persians gave control to the Christian population um, and they tore down the semi-built Jewish temple Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire then took over. The Temple Mount is turned into a garbage dump. 
637 AD, the Rashidun Caliphate Umar took over the city. The Caliph Umar, with the help of the Christian patriarch Sophronius uh, and, and a converted Jew, uh, Kab al-Akbar, found the rubbish dump. Kab suggested they build the mosque north of the rock, but instead the Caliph Umar built the mosque south of the rock. This rubbish dump was the city of David on Mount Zion, originally the fortress of the Jebusites. So we see in 637 AD, Caliph Umar builds a mosque south of the rock on a rubbish dump. Where is the rubbish dump? The rubbish dump is on the city of David, on Mount Zion, originally the fortress of the Jebusites. That is not where the, the current Temple Mount stands today. It is not where the current mount stands today, okay? Because that is Mount Moriah, where Caliph Umar builds the mosque, is Mount Zion. The Umayyad dynasty rules until 750. Um, from 691, the Dome of the Rock is completed by Caliph Abdel Malik. In 701, Al Aqsa Mosque is completed by Caliph Al Walid. In 750, the Abbasid dynasty begins. In 878, the Tulunids invade Jerusalem. In 904, the Abbasids retake the city. In 939, the Ikshidid invade Jerusalem. 969, the Fatimids take the city led by General Gavar al-Sikli. In 1009, the Egyptian Caliph al-Hakim destroys the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the tomb of Jesus crashed down to the remaining bedrock. The burial bench is spared simply because it was covered with rubble. In 1010, synagogues and churches in Jerusalem were destroyed by Caliph al-Hakim. In 1017, 1077, the Seljuk Turks conquered Jerusalem. In 1096, Pope Urban calls for a crusade to take back the Holy Land. The Crusader era starts from 10, 1099 to 1187. In 1099, Godfrey of Bullion captures Jerusalem for the Christians. Baldwin I is named the King of Jerusalem. A, a, a great slaughter of the Jews and Muslims by the Christians followed the capture of the city. The Ayyubid era starts from 1187 to 1250. In 1187, General Saladin takes Jerusalem from the Crusaders. Jews and Muslims return and settle in the city. Um, in 1192, uh, Crusaders fail to take Jerusalem, but the Muslim gen General Saladin allows Christians to worship. 1212, 300 rabbis from England and France settle in Jerusalem. In 1219, Sultan Malik al-Muvatta raises the city walls. In 1229, Crusaders briefly recapture Jerusalem twice. In 1244, the Crusader era ends with Khazarizmi Turks capturing Jerusalem. From 1250 to 1516, we have the Mamluk period. In 1250, a Muslim caliph dismantles the walls of Jerusalem. In 1260, the Mamluks of Egypt enter Jerusalem. In 1347, the Mamluks um, capture Jerusalem for a second time. 
the Ottoman period starts from 1517. Uh, the Ottoman Sultan Selim takes over Jerusalem. In 1537, Sultan Suleiman, the magnificent rebels, the city walls, which have been ruined since 1219. In 1541, Jerusalem's eastern or golden gate is sealed to prevent the entrance of the Jewish Messiah. 1542, the Damascus uh, gate is built. Rabbi Yehud, Yehuda Hak Hasid arrives in Jerusalem and begins building the Hurva synagogue. In 1705, the restrictions imposed on the Jews in Jerusalem. In 1831, Sultan Mehmet Ali of Egypt conquers the city. In 1838, the first British consulate is open in Jerusalem. In 1840, the Ottoman Turks retake the city. In 1844, the census shows 7,120 Jews in Jerusalem, uh, 5,760 Muslims and 3,390 Christians. In 1860, the first Jewish settlement outside the walls of the city. Uh, 1917, the British take Jerusalem from the Ottoman Empire. Um, so that is the chronicles of history uh, for the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock and why the three groups have been constantly fighting for this since uh, 3,000 years now. They're not going to learn. So let's go the Islamic version of what the Temple Dome says, okay? Now remember the Christians and the Yehud from 95% of the population when the Muslims first took over. The Christians being a majority. The Muslims were only 5% basically the ruling class. So when you invade any region anywhere in the world, your physical strength does not count for much. You will always be in a minority. You have to work with the local populations on the ground to gain their support and win them over. You form coalitions with mostly marginalized groups on the ground, convert them to your side, marry their women to form a Matisse class and build your support base. Remember Linda Sarsou, the Palestinian-American activist? And she said, we must form coalitions with all the marginalized groups in America to build our strength. We must keep Muslims in a constant state of fear and outrage. Now you know why the Middle East will never uh, stop fighting. This is modern-day Linda Sassur. Um Google her name and you'll find a whole rich tradition of history, violence and negativity. So the group in this context in 637 AD would have been the Israelites who were marginalized in, by the Christians. The Muslims who would have would have won them over by and over then, slowly converting the Christian population, as they would have grown in strength and their power would have grown. Once the Christians became a minority, the Muslims would have taken over all their monuments. The primary of these locations would have been the Fort Antonia and the original site of the first and second temple. On it would be standing the Church of Wisdom, itself originally part of the Roman temple built by Hadrian. There are definitely no eight-sided mosques in the world. How did Muslims build the mosque in 691? 
when in 632, the Prophet Muhammad passed away, they had no knowledge. They were mostly illiterate. And even the Quran was not written according to Islamic history. So how did they commission a monument as the temple, the temple dome or the, um, the temple mount? The temple mount, being a hill, would have become the seat of power from where one would overlook the cities and countryside below. It would have become a symbol of power for all clans and tribes passing by. They definitely did not rebuild Solomon's temple, as the numbers of Jews would have dwindled down to nothing. Whatever was left standing was then rebranded as a mosque the moment the Christians went into a minority. Every Muslim establishment, no different from than any other establishment in the world, would have wanted power and to collect their jizya tax. Fort Antonio, now taken over, could have ordered minor modifications and maintenance in 691. When the Crusaders invaded in 1099 AD, this is the status quo that they would have been faced with. Hence today, the Muslims too are ambiguous of the fact that the Dome of the Rock is actually where Solomon's Temple once stood. The land where they built their wooden mosque would have become the original city of David, and he took over from the Jebusites. Of course, as life is not so simple, neither will the simple story stop here. Now all three religions want the peace of the sight. One will think of the young infants crying for the same toy. What do you think a parent would do? They would scream at all three children. My parents would not waste any time screaming at us. We would just get a slap on our face. And that is what the entire planet wants to do with these three Arabic Bedouin religions. Well, of course, we cannot do that. So let's continue our little podcast, fellas. So it's important to know that Islam considers the entire Temple Mount complex as the Al-Haram-Esh-Sharif. Okay. The mosque on the site was said to be built in the 7th century by Umayyad Caliph Umar. It sits on the southern part of the complex and is called Masjid Al-Aqsa, remaining meaning the furthest mosque. It is believed that the Prophet Muhammad himself embarked on his miraculous night journey to heaven from this site. He tied his steed, that is the Barak, to the gate and embarked on the journey to heaven. However, there lies a small problem. Prophet Muhammad never went to Jerusalem. A fact at least not noted in the Quran. There was never any mosque in Jerusalem built before Muhammad died. And if he did go to heaven in spirit, no one can see a spirit so they would never know, never had any clue as to where he went. Al-Aqsa means the furthest mosque. Hence, when the Arabs conquered Jerusalem, the Caliph Umar had to be given a tour of the city by the Christian bishop uh, of Jerusalem and by a Jewish convert of Islam, Qatab. Uh, Thus, they had no idea about anything in the city, leave alone where, Mus- where Muhammad traveled to on his miraculous night journey. How then did this become the furthest mosque? when it clearly did not exist during the time of the Prophet. Al-Aqsa is mentioned only once in the Quran, 
Surah 17, verse 1. Exalted is he who took his servant by night from Al-Masjid Al-Haram to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, whose surroundings we have blessed to show him our signs. Indeed, he is, he, he is the hearing and the seeing. You see, so there's no mention of any precise location in the Quran concerning Al-Aqsa. This is besides the fact that the Quran was not written in 638 AD when the Arabs took over Jerusalem. Many early Islamic scholars and researchers believed that the Al-Aqsa Mosque mentioned in the Quran was one of the two mosques located near Jirana, a village located between Mecca and Taif in Saudi Arabia. One of the mosques was called Al-Masjid Al-Adna, meaning the closer mosque, and the other Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, meaning the further mosque or point or further from the point of Jirana. When the Quran refers to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's telling the story of the Prophet's, Prophet Muhammad's journey from the Holy Mosque of Mecca to the Al-Aqsa, that is the further mosque, further mosque. Today in Jirana, there's also a mosque called Masjid al-Jirana. This mosque on the road to Taif is an important place for Muslims, especially those who are preparing for the Hajj or Umrah. Tradition says that Muhammad, after the Battle of Hunayn, stopped at the mosque, now known as Masjid al-Jinnara, and entered Ihram, here before con continuing to the Holy City. That is why the Jinra Mosque is a popular Mikat station, especially for the residents of Mecca. Mikat is the principal boundary point of an area within which Muslim pilgrims on the Hajj must be in. Um, at the state, a state of ihram or a state of consecration is, is in which certain worldly activities or actions considered haram are prohibited. So you have to be in a state of ihram before you enter uh, the Masjid al, al, um, al the, the, the Kaaba. You have to be in the state of Iran, and you cannot go beyond the Mikat. Mikat is the principal boundary point where you cannot go beyond that. You have to have this. You be in the state of Iran, uh, Iran, uh, in this Mikat, and beyond that, then you have to be um, and and beyond. So your Mikat is the last bond boundary points uh, before the the Muslim pilgrims on the Hajj must be. Uh, basically, from Quran. Uh, Surah 17, verse 1, we understand that Allah is exalting the person or persons who accompanied Muhammad from Mecca to the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jinra. Ibn Ishaq al-Faqihi, an early Islamic historian, stated that those who wanted to perform the Umrah, that's the minor pilgrimage, would first purify themselves in the neighboring village of Tanim and Jinra. The Al-Adna Mosque in Tanim was, was significant because Muhammad's wife Aisha was purified there. And the Prophet himself had prayed in the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jinra. And you can see this, um, there's a very nice uh, um, story about this in, in on a blog spot and in, uh, on Google. So st staring 
at theview.blogspot.com. I'll repeat that, staringattheview.blogspot.com. So you can Google it and, and take a look at it yourself. Uh, the historical Islamic story goes as such. 50 years after Muhammad's passing in 682 or 683, the governor of Mecca, Abd Allah ibn al-Zubair, whose paternal grandfather was the first caliph Abu Bakr, rebelled against the Umayyads who ruled from Damascus and all the corruption taking place under their reign. Ibn Zubair declares himself the caliph. The Umayyads sent an army to Mecca to fight Ibn Zubair. In a siege to defend the Kaaba area from invading the Umayyad army, from the invading Umayyad army, a fire engulfed the Kaaba and destroyed the holy sanctuary by leveling it to the ground, or at least partially, according to some accounts. This era produced what is called the Second Islamic War or the Fitna. After 40 days on the road to battle, the Umayyad army got word that the Caliph in Damascus. Um, had died, and the Umayyad general and their families had to return to Damascus. This meant Ibn Zubair was saved in a prolonged battle, which meant he remained in power in Mecca. He formed alliances with the governor of Kufa, the people of Mecca and Medina, southern Arabia and parts of Egypt. The Second Islamic War went on, however, and the Kaaba was by then completely demolished, in defiance by Ibn Zubair. He would eventually die in 692 AD in a battle against the Umayyad army. During this time, the rulers of the land they occupied, during this time, as rulers of the land they occupied, it would not have been possible for the Umayyads to fulfill the Hajj in Mecca, and, and since the Kaaba was destroyed. Um, since the Hajj pilgrimage is one of the five basic pillars of Islam, it is very possible that the Umayyads decide to choose Jerusalem as the alternative for a pilgrimage site. To justify choosing the city, the Umayyads re-explain the Quranic verse, Surah 17.1, of the Al-Aqsa Mosque to Jerusalem, by fabricating a story of the night journey of Muhammad to Al-Aqsa. Remember, the story mimics the Christians in the Levant, who the Arab Muslims were trying to win over. The Christians believed that Christ went to heaven. The Umayyads, I believe, just remodeled that story by adding the flying bur burak, and here we go. From this point onwards, Islam or Sunni Islamic branch would have considered Jerusalem their third holy site. Shias themselves considered Najaf to be the third holiest site until very recently, that is, the Islamic revolution in Iran. It is important to note that during a civil war within your empire, the bulk of the resources of that empire are, divided, uh, are diverted towards the war, as done even today. Human capital, financial resources, and material goods and services at a time of war, when you are not sure whether you will remain in power, do you think one would commission a big mosque complex or any construction? I think not. The Umayyads rebranded the existing structure, calling it the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The old church of Domini, which would have been the remaining monument from the temple built by Hadrian, became the Dome of the Rock. The Crusaders invaded 
in 1099 AD and changed the Dome of the Rock back to a church. Salahuddin conquered Jerusalem and converted back to a mosque. It did go back and forth for a while, but it remained in Islamic hands for much of the time after, due to the occupation by the Turks. This is where it still stands until today. So you see, it's a complicated issue. Each one has their own interpretation, but you can follow the history and you can understand what the Dome of the Rock is. Um, I know it's complicated. It takes a very long time to put this together uh, and understand the different aspects. And you have to really understand history and go deep into history to understand this section. But um, I, I hope you just get a brief gist of it. Uh, I will continue with the modern situation of Israel and Palestine. So Palestine gets its name from the Philistines. They came from the Greek island of Crete across the Aegean Sea. They didn't refer to themselves as Philistines, or this is what the Jewish term for them is. The Hebrew Bible refers to them as Philistim, which means invaders. This was later translated into Latin as Philistinus. They were based in five city-states of the southwest Levant, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashhod, Ekron, and Gad, from Vadi Gaza in the south to the Yarkon River in the north. Most of the above was situated on the Mediterranean coast. They eventually disappeared from history towards the advent of the Common Era. They were either annihilated by the remaining tribes or those who remain amalgamated into the kingdoms um, of Judea and Israel, besides the other smaller kingdoms that existed. They were, however, sworn en enemies of the Hebrew people. They did not believe in the monoistic god and ate pork. As history went on, we come to the time of the Roman Emperor Hadrian, who in 132 or 135 CE did away with the last of the Jewish people in what is known as the Bar Kokhba Revolt. This time, it was the Romans who annihilated the, the Hebrews. Hadrian also despised the Hebrew people that he remained, he renamed uh, the city of Jerusalem as Aelia Capitolina. In English, it's sometimes called the Roman province of Syria Philistia. Okay, but that was not, that's the English version of it, but the Roman emperor called it um, Aelia Capitolina. Okay. Uh, this continued until 390 AD. Syria was early, the early Roman province since 63 AD. The province um, of Judea integrated into the regions of Judea and Samaria and Idumea. It was also it was included. It also included parts of the former regions of the Hasmonean and Herodian kingdoms of Israel. As time went on, the Roman Empire eventually made Christianity its official religion. So we're going to look at the period from 324 to 638, because we've already looked at it from 638 onwards, but we're going to look at the Byzantine period. So from 326 AD, Constantine's mother Helena visits Jerusalem and establishes the Christian holy site and several other churches. Okay, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is built in 335. 361, Emperor Julian the Apostate allows Jews to return to the, to the homeland 
of Jerusalem and, re and begin rebuilding the temple. In 438, Jews were allowed to live in Jerusalem. In 614, the Persians conquered Jerusalem under General Shabaraz. Churches were destroyed, including the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is burnt. The Jews, uh, the Christians are pretty much driven out of Jerusalem. Uh, 629, the Byzantine Empire, the Christian Empire, recaptures Jerusalem from the Persians and under Emperor Heraclius. If you want one basic reason as to why the violence against the Jewish, the Hebrew people in Jerusalem, it's because of one simple reason that we all fight today. Water. There's only one water source in Jerusalem till today. It was the Gihon Springs. Anyone who controlled the water source controlled the region. The Gihon Springs lies in the old city of Jerusalem, that is the city of David. The city of David is considered the sacred place for Jews as much as Mecca is considered a sacred place for Muslims. Both cities are around a water source, the only one for miles. The original reason for the cap capture of the citadel of Zion by King David would have been this very same Gihon Springs. Thus the Jews would consider it offensive for anyone to even so much as to walk on that land. In reality, control of water meant holding the ace card in your hands for any sort of power struggle um, or geopolitical negotiations. Add God into the picture and now you're on a roll. The empires would get so angry with them that they would eventually lead to a revolt, civil war, and finally an all-out war. Of course, every single group who controlled Jerusalem before and after did the same things to other groups, something which we all do in the world even today. From 1517 to 1917, the region was controlled by the Ottoman Turks. Like most empires, they divided their territory into administrative regions and provinces. There were, however, never a province called Palestine. Instead, there was the Turks had provinces called Sanjak of Nablus, Sanjak of Akka, to where, together with the Sanjak of Jerusalem, and Mustaf, Musta, sorry, Mustasar fate of Jerusalem. The Ottomans called this collective area Southern Syria, and on some occasion, Philistine. Philistine. In 1831, the Sultan Mehmet of Egypt conquered the city. They bought a they they bought a caravan of Egyptian of Arab Egyptian Muslims into Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, causing this pop the swell in population of Arabs in the city. The population of Syrian Palestinian ter territories was about 105,700 uh, 105, Muslims. In 1838, the first British consulate was opened in Jerusalem. The Ottoman Turks retake the city. Total population of the Ottoman Syrian Philistine administrative territories were about 200,000. In 1860, a Jewish settlement is set up outside the city walls. In 1880, the total population was approximately 300,000 people, made of mostly of immigrants from other parts of the Ottoman Empire. In 1917, the British take Jerusalem from the Ottoman Empire, which crumbled. 
1834, there was a peasants' revolt that took place against the conscription and heavy taxation policies of, of the Al the Alavia dynasty in Palestine and Transjordan. Um, sorry, in 1934. It was a situation that occurred as a reaction to the gradual elimination of unofficial rights and privilege previously enjoyed by various societal groups of the region in under direct Ottoman rule. While the local peasants constituted the bulk of the rebel forces, new urban notables and Bedouin tribes were also among the rebels. The major part of the fighting occurred in the regions of Judea and Samaria, but later spread to Galilee, Gaza and parts of Transjordan. Jerusalem was briefly captured by rebels and plundered. Due to the superior firepower and organizations of the Egyptians, the rebels were defeated in Jabal, Nabalus, Jerusalem and coastal plains before their final defeat in the Hebron and later in Al-Karak, which was leveled. The Egyptian revolt was eventually forgotten, but the Arab nationalist and elite held the Egyptians with high regard. They held a negative view of the Ottoman era, which they associated with backwardness, corruption and tyranny. The Arab peasants were, one, were another issue who preferred the rule of the Ottomans. Thus the seeds of dissent already existed and there were widespread divide between the classes. The land of Israel, or Great Eleven, was completely desecrated towards the end of the Ottoman Empire. Although it was had a rich fertile land, it was desolate, no water, very little farming. People were poor, mostly peasants, farmers or fellahine, and mostly ruled by elite Bedouin landowners from the traditional ruling class. Huge tracts of land were uncultivated covered with wild bushes or just lay barren. Lack of vegetation was a norm in this region. The Felahin indulged in robbery, cattle theft. There was no security and they had to fend for themselves. One cannot blame them. They had to find food to eat and needed to survive. The traditional absentee landlords could not care less about their people and were too busy with their own self-indulgent lives. As long as they collected their taxes, they were con they were content. They were deprived. They deprived of their rights. Um, they were deprived of their rights to the land by tax collectors, sheikhs, moneylenders, and crooked merchants. By the time they paid all the people, there was nothing left in ordinary pe peasants below. This was the very same case in the Indian subcontinent as much of uh, other places in Asia. This is exactly the way the British came into the picture, as they had capital, which the Maharajas and Nawabs of India of the 18th and 9th century did not have. They, the local feudal leadership of the subcontinent went, spent the bulk of their wealth on dancing girls, drugs and sex, and never had, were never on the land of, of would never, never cared about the land nor the people. That is why we had so many famines and death. Where the Indian leaders were conveniently blamed on, where the Indian leaders very conveniently blamed the British to camouflage um, their transgressions. Sounds familiar? So also the Arab peasants and fellahin was a landless labor as all of Arabia and the Indian subcontinent. All this was what we call a feudal society. 
So in order to attract capital to rejuvenate their sector, the Jews were allowed to immigrate back to Israel, bringing with them money to buy tracts of barren land under the Ottomans, who occupied the area of the Ottoman Finnish team of in English Palestine. The elite Bedouin small and medium landowners sold their, sold their land at high prices to the Jews. This influx of capital meant a short period of respite from poverty for majority peasant farmers who found unemployment and better opportunities than they did in other parts of the Ottoman Empire. The report on the Palestinian Royal Commission stated, the large import of Jewish capital into Philistine uh, had has had a general fructifying effect on the economic life of the whole country. The increase in Arab population is most marked in areas affected by Jewish development. However, the traditional Bedouin Muslim families did not reinvest the capital like the Jews. They who bought land and converted it into lush green farms, lands rich in agriculture. The peasant farmers of the Fellahin still remain laborers or tillers as we call them on the Indian subcontinent. Without owning any property and still felt enslaved with high taxes to the hierarchy of the feudal lords who dug deep into their pockets. The increase in the Arab population is most marked in areas affected by Jewish development. At the end of the day, they had nothing left. By 1882, the Jews were the largest ethnic group in the region of Jerusalem. It just rose from there and never went down. Immigration continued of the Jews, Arabs and non-Arab Muslims. Arab immigration reached a peak during World War II, legally and some illegally. When the Ottoman Turks lost the empire in World War I, the League of Nations took over and gave the League of Nations mandate to Britain for the land that was administered con administratively considered southern Syria. A region then encompassed the modern-day Kingdom of Jordan and the State of Israel. So that is basically the history of the land for you with the Dome of the Rock, the three different versions, and the chronicle history uh, with the dates from as far back as, um, yeah, the Jewish period. So I hope you took any notes. Um, you're most welcome to send me an email, ask me any questions, but it, it is a little complicating. It's basically the history of the land and the area, and you need to know the whole sequence of events, the currents that form their wave, in order for you to um, to understand the theology and where it goes and everything that happens in the modern world. So this land has been fighting for a very long time. I'll take your leave, a short break. We'll come back with a balance of the chapter. Until then, I hope you had a great day.